Good morning and welcome again to the church at Sturkey Hills. We're so glad that you're here. You can open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19 and 20. That's where we are going to be today. Now, I got a confession for you as a preacher. First, this confession. When kids come out in the front, it means somebody is getting baptized, okay? There's no water in the tub today. And the kids came out here. So when I, when I was giving announcements, if I, if I acted like I was on drugs, I was freaking out. I was going to have to fill a bucket with water or something. I didn't know what I was going to do. So confessions of a preacher, there's one. Uh, always the last to know. Number two is uh, this is the Sunday after Easter, and Easter's Super Bowl Sunday for the Christian, right? I mean, it's the biggest day of the year to celebrate what Jesus did and, and preaching it. You know, there's no greater story, not just in the Bible, but in all of humanity. There's no greater story than the story of God wrapping himself with skin and coming down here and dying on a cross to rescue us from us. That's just the best story in the world. And so you get to preach that once a year predominantly. And, uh, and so then the week after Easter comes. And for a preacher, you know, how do you, how do you land the plane after Easter Sunday? And so as God would have it, uh, I didn't try to do this, but we're in Exodus 19 and 20. And, and it's a special uh, chapter because what we're going to learn today, and in fact, over the next 10 weeks, we're going to look at 10 reasons that Good Friday and Easter even happened. 10 reasons. They're called the Ten Commandments, okay? 3,500 years ago, God instructed Moses to tell Israel. Israel would, Moses would record it. It would be preserved to this very day because God has some very simple instructions for us to live a life that's pleasing to him. He, he gave us Ten Commandments, and we're going to look at them over the next ten weeks, in, uh, in particular, each one each week. Um, <clears throat> so today we're going to do an introduction to the Ten Commandments. Now, God knows who he's dealing with, right? He created us. He knows how, how dumb we are. The reason he gave the Ten Commandments, as you're ready, the message is this. He was saying to us, you are so messed up. He didn't give the Ten Commandments to prove to us how good we are at doing good. He gave the Ten Commandments to show us that we can't even keep ten. Everybody hold up ten fingers. Now, if you cut a couple off in shop class, eight's okay. You can't even keep eight. Okay? That's what he gave. He gave us ten. That's it. And we can't even do that. So we're going to be looking at ten reasons that Jesus died on a cross. Ten reasons that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. Because he wants us to know. Now, let's talk about it. The Ten Commandments in the Hebrew, this is the expression. Aseret ha-devarim. That's a cool expression. And it simply means this. These are ten words or ten phrases from God to man. That's what it is. That's what the Ten Commandments are. Now, if you go over to the New Testament... They're referred to in the Greek, and it's called a decalogue, a deca, ten, log, logos, word, ten words or phrases from God. I want you to know today it hadn't changed. We're 3,500 years post being written, revealed from God, and it still means the same thing. These are ten phrases or words from God given as instruction to people. That's it. Now, now the, 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 these ten reasons have lost their weight it's like as New Testament believers, often we say, hey, we're New Testament people. We're New Covenant people, so that stuff in the Old Testament, it's really not for me anymore. That's not true. And we're going to see that both today and over the next 10 weeks, that they are still for us. God has given commandments to help us, not to harm us. And so, uh, so over the years, most people realize, if they've got a brain, that these things are important. They're valuable. And so as far back... As the father of our Constitution, one of them, who was the fourth president of the United States, James Madison, this is what he said. 
He said, we have staked the whole future of our nation, not upon the power of government, far from it. We have staked the future of, our, of all our political constitutions upon the capacity of each of ourselves to govern ourselves according to the moral principles of the Ten Commandments. And sometimes there's an argument, we're not a Christian nation, we never were a Christian nation. That's half true. We are not a Christian nation today, but we began as a Christian nation. Now, don't get me wrong, there are people just like today, uh, 200 years ago, that would say that they were Christian and they would be nominal Christians, meaning a Christian by name only. Oh, yeah, oh, we're all Christians? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Okay, but they didn't live by the principles or the instructions of God's Word. But there are others who formed our nation, who loved the Word of God, who lived by the Word of God, and believed that God was setting them free from oppression, and they started this nation, and this is where we live. Margaret Thatcher, first woman prime minister of the the UK, she visited America in 1996, and this is what she said. The Decalogue are addressed to each and every person. It is the origin of our common humanity And the sanctity of the individual. Each person has a duty to try to carry out those commandments. If you accept freedom, you must have principles of the responsibilities. You cannot do this without a biblical foundation. Your founding fathers came over here with that. They came with the doctrines of the New Testament as well as the Old. They looked after one another not only as a necessity but as a duty to their God. There is no other country in the world that started that way. So you see, we started on the foundation of God's Word. And part of that were these Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, okay? So we're gonna, we need to understand it. Uh, we've walked away from it. Now people want to debate them. Now people want to reject them. Now it's, uh, it's illegal to have the Ten Commandments in a classroom, uh, to have them in any public facility. The, the, the legal phrase is they have to undergo much scrutiny to determine whether or not it's making a drive for some religious cause. That's, where, that's the world we live in. And, and, and at the end of the day, I mean, it makes sense because we don't want decent people in the world, right? That's not our goal. Okay, we want to go to schools where we have SRO officers. And we want to go to churches where we have security guards. Uh, we, we want to embrace agendas where it's okay to murder a million babies a year and call it, quote, pro-choice. We, we want to create confusion and call it freedom by allowing boys to go in girls' restrooms and girls to go in boys' restrooms. And we want to promote hormone therapy so a child can attempt to become another gender rather than encouraging, to, to be, encouraging them to be all that God created them to be. We want everybody to have their right to express their own idea of truth in this relativistic, uh, relativistic world that says what's true for you or what's true for God may not be true for me. And that's the world we live in. If we had to write 10 commandments today, they might sound like this. Number one, let's worship dirt, trees, animals, and lifeless stuff. Number two, thou shalt make idols of sports, social media, celebrities, and material possessions. Number three, profanity will be the new accent. Number four, Sunday is a great day to work and pursue our hobbies and dreams. Number five, disrespecting our parents is our right. Number six, murder is just an avenue to share in my own personal suffering. 
Number seven, it is to be sexy, to be unfaithful to our spouse. Number eight, you are entitled to take things that are not yours. Number nine, number nine it's okay to lie about people to prove your own worth. And number 10, live every day trying to keep up with others that you see on social media. After all, that's where the good life is at, right? And that's the world we live in. And so it's been under attack for a long time, but it's not new uh, today. One prominent leader in our past stood adamantly opposed to the Ten Commandments. This was his statement. The Ten Commandments have lost their validity. Conscience is a Jewish invention. It is a blemish just like circumcision. Who was that prominent leader? Adolf Hitler. And you see how it all played out in his world. So today we're going to dive into these ten uh, phrases, these ten words from God the Ten Commandments, or Ten Reasons Why Jesus Went to the Cross. And on the back of your life guide, you can take some notes, if you would like, if you're a note taker. We're going to begin in Exodus chapter 19, and this is how it launches. In the third month after the Israelites went out from the land of Egypt, third month, that's all. It says, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai. So let's get ourselves in the game. Let's, let's get ourselves in the environment, okay, in the narrative. 3,500 years ago, there's a people group called Israel. They were begun by Abraham and Sarah, a promised family tree, and they were 100 years old, respectively, and they had a baby. And so it started. This group, this nation, this unknown people that God was going to build, and he chose them to introduce himself to the world through, okay? Now, 400 years now, this nation of about 2 million people, they've been in captivity in Egypt. God liberated them. He destroyed the, the Egyptian army. He parted the Red Sea. He's providing water from the rock. He is alive and well doing great things in this people. Three months after they're liberated, that's all, okay? He gives them, he begins to reveal his rule book for living. Basic instructions before leaving earth, the Bible. And he begins with these ten commandments. Now, we're going to learn a few things about it first Number one on the back of your life guide, reputation provides credibility. Reputation provides credibility. It says in verse 3, Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain. Thus you will tell the house of Jacob and to declare to the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. And I lifted you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, I want you to notice his reputation. He's building his reputation to the people that he's chosen to follow him. And he does it by emphasizing the, the fact that God is the one that does all the work. He's, it's his reputation on the line. He says, listen, I, I am the one that got you out of Egypt. I am the one that drowned the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. I am the one that lifted you up on eagle's wings. And I am the one that initiated the idea of inviting you into myself. His reputation precedes him. Credibility is built on his reputation. Now, what does that mean for us today? It means this. God wants you every day to consider what he's done in your life. I'm not talking about the broken stuff that you're a part of. I'm talking about the things God has done in your life that reveal the greatness of who he is. 
You have to begin with a God who has an unbelievable reputation to you. It doesn't matter what other people may say about him. You need to have a relationship with God where his reputation is big to you. Here at the church at Sturkey Hills, we say it all the time. We need to develop this mentality that, that big God, little me. We live in a world of big me, little God. Or maybe big me and big God, okay? But it's not that way. We have a huge God, an amazing God, a God outside our words of vocabulary, a God beyond anything we can imagine. That's who our God is, and, and, and he deserves to have that reputation in our heart. And that's what he's developing in the nation of Israel. So reputation precedes credibility. Number two, requirements demand attention. Requirements demand attention sometimes God lays down a lot of requirements and it seems a little hard a little stiff a little demanding a little confined and all the while God's requirements deserve to be attended to verse 5 and now if you will diligently listen to me and keep my commandment simple he said I'm going to tell it I want you to listen But I don't want you to just listen. I want you to do what I tell you and what the conviction of the Holy Spirit is that speaks to your heart. If you will do that, everything changes. Now, the question sometimes we hear is, which came first, the chicken or the egg, right? I want to show you something. I want to remind you of something today. They've been liberated for three months. If you read back in Exodus that when they were delivered, God said, Look and see your salvation. He parted the Red Sea. They walked across on dry land. They got to the other side. They had a worship service, sang songs, danced around, got crazy, threw a worship party for God, and God drowned their enemies. He called it the, their salvation. He said, see your salvation. Now notice, we're three months later before they ever get the first commandment. He didn't, he didn't tell them, to be good first and I'm going to save you we need to clear this up because we live in a very confused world you see God didn't go in there and say okay Israel I know you've been in slavery for 400 years here's your 10 your big 10 when you start doing these big 10 really good I'm going to save you I'm going to let you out of Egypt it didn't work that way he says I'm going to save you and then I'm going to take you over here and I'm now I'm going to tell you how I want you to live listen to me You will never be good enough to save you. Jesus had to come to this earth from heaven, die on a cross, and pay for your sin debt. You see, we live in a world that looks like this. I invite people to church sometimes. I'm just not ready to go to church. Okay, what's that even mean? Well, I got a lot of stuff. I got a lot of stuff in my life, and I need to work on it and clean myself up before. No, no, I love that. I love that answer. Time out. Let Let me just fix this right now. You will never be right enough to be right with God. You will never be able to clean yourself up enough to present yourself to a holy, righteous, perfect God. So what does God do? He saves us and then he begins to craft us and build us and mold us into the image of his son Jesus. The commandments for living comes after the salvation of our soul. Now, don't get me wrong. There's some people say, oh, that's that Baptist belief, uh, that easy uh, believism, that, oh, once saved, always saved. No, I don't believe that. I believe if saved, always saved. 
I believe if Jesus comes into your life, rescues your soul, you are saved for all of eternity because he is the one who provided his finished work of grace and salvation in your life. I can go out here today and murder somebody. There's not many people that I'm planning on doing that right now. I'm not going to say there are any, but there's not many. But hopefully I don't do that. But if I do, I'm going to heaven when I die. Because I'm not saved because I didn't murder anybody. I'm saved because Jesus didn't murder anybody. I'm not saved because I'm good. I'm saved because Jesus is good. Okay? Now, don't get me wrong. If I murder somebody, there's, there's a price to pay, a penalty to pay. I'll go to jail, rightfully so. Okay, one of y'all can send me a cake with a, with a little saw blade in it. And I'll cut my way out and come back over here and preach on occasion. All right? I'm still saved. But I would be under the penalty of the law. I want you to understand that because we live in a world that's very, very confused. James 1 says what Exodus chapter 19 says in paraphrase form. He says this. He says, be sure, James 1, be sure to live out the message. Do not merely listen to it and deceive yourselves. Another translation says, be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word only. Okay? We're supposed to hear the word. And God told Moses, tell him to diligently listen, to dive into what I'm telling you, but then obey it. We have an obligation to obey. Number three, after requirements demand attention, number three is relationship is God's idea. I want you to know that. Everybody look right here for a second. Don't take any notes. Look right here. This is cool. I want you to know, you and you and you, every single person in here, I want you to know that the big old God we just talked about who's in heaven, he desires a personal, intimate, eternal relationship with you. Now look to the person next to you and say, it's beyond me. You know what I'm saying? Why? I just don't know. I do know, in fact, because he's God and mankind is the pinnacle of his creation. The one he breathed life into. He wants a relationship with you. He initiates it. It started that way in the beginning. God created Adam and Eve in the garden. Genesis 1 and 2. They're perfect, naked, hanging out in the garden. Walking with God, having just a big old time. God's walking with them. But I want you to know, even when they found themselves sinful, shameful, naked, and hiding in the bushes, what's God do? He shows up in the garden. Whew. Hey, guys, where y'all at? Now, he knew he wasn't looking for revelation. He's looking for confession. Where are you guys at? We're hiding in the bushes. He initiated, again, the relationship. He sacrificed the animals. He gave them, sin, uh, sin, uh, he gave them animal clothing of skin to cover their shame. He created relationship. Listen to what it says. It says, then you will be my special possession. Have you ever thought about yourself that way? That this big old God that whispered everything into existence. When he looks at his children adopted into his family through Jesus, his son, he says, that is my special possession. That's mine. I got it forever. Now he goes on. He says, my special possession out of all the nations for all the earth is mine. And you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Look down at verse 9. He says, the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud. Who's, who's going where? God says, I am coming to you. 
I, I am the one that make relationship with you happen, God says. He says, I'm coming to you in a dense cloud so that the people may hear when I speak with you and so that they will always believe in you. And Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Now, God has picked this nation and God is now establishing this relationship, a daily walk with his people. I want you to know this today. There's some in here who walk with Jesus every day. You pray to him every day. You read his word every day. You try to live for him every day. And then there's others in here who don't even know Jesus. You know the name. You know a little bit of the nature characteristic of him from that, what you've heard in sermons. But you don't know him, know him in a personal, intimate way. And then there's people in the middle that know him, but we've never allowed God to develop that relationship uh, between him and you. And I want you to know uh, across the board. God wants a relationship with every single one of us. A vibrant, alive and well, intimate, personal relationship with us. And it's his idea. Number four, restrictions are for our good. Restrictions are for our good. It says in verse 10, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people, sanctify them today and tomorrow. Make them wash their clothes. Be ready for the third day, for on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You must set boundaries for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves. Do not go on the mountain or touch its edge. Whoever touches the mountain surely will be put to death. Verse 13, no hand will, <clears throat> will touch him, but he will surely be stoned or shot through. Whether a beast or a human being, he must not live. When the ram's horn sounds a loud blast, they may go up on the mountain. Then Moses went down from the mountain to the people. He sanctified the people. He washed their clothes. He said to the people, be ready for on the third day. Do not approach your wives for marital relations. On the third day in the morning, there was thunder. There was lightning, this dense cloud on the mountain and the sound of a very loud horn. And all the people who were in the camp, they trembled. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their place at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely covered with smoke. Because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And its smoke went up like the smoke of a great furnace. And the whole mountain shook violently. When the sound of the horn grew louder and louder, Moses was speaking and God was answering him with a voice. Verse 20, the Lord came down on Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain. And the Lord summoned Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. The Lord said to Moses, go down and solemnly warn the people lest they force their way through the Lord through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Let the priest also who approach the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break through against them. I want you to know restrictions from God are for our own good. God's desire is not to hurt us, but to help us. Not to destroy us, but to develop us. Uh, so what does he do? He gives us these restrictions. And nobody likes restrictions. I, you know what I hate? The speed limit. I just don't like it, okay? I don't like somebody on the interstate going under the speed limit. If that's you, get in a slow lane because I might be un-Jesus-y in the moment, okay? I don't like somebody passing me because I'm already going too fast, and I don't like to be passed. I'm immediately transferred into a go-kart race, okay? I don't like the speed limit. I like the idea of the Audubon in Germany. Just get on there and go, okay? 
It's a restriction, though, that's for my own good. I have grandchildren, four of them. Three of them are old enough to jump on the couch. We have restrictions about that. Don't jump on the couch. There's a hard coffee table right there that will bust your head open. They don't like that restriction. For a long time, I rode a motorcycle. People will try to kill you on a motorcycle, so I sold mine. I didn't like wearing a helmet. I wanted to be free until I hit the pavement, okay? We don't like restrictions, but restrictions are for our own good. Now, why does God have these restrictions that he's beginning to share with us? Listen to me. If we had to sum it up, this is what God is saying. God is saying, I am a good God, but I am a holy God, and I have boundaries that will make your life better. Number two, he says, I am a great God, but I am a just God. Don't play around too much with me because it might just kill you. Number three, he says, I I want to be with you every day, but I am an omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful God. Don't forget the bigness of who I am. Don't put me in a little box and set me aside. I am Yahweh, the true and living creator and sustainer of all of eternity, God. Don't forget who I am. Sometimes in scripture, people forget who God was and how serious he was about restrictions. A good example, or a bad example, Leviticus chapter 10, there's a couple of guys who are the sons of Aaron. Their names are Nadab and Abihu. And scripture says they showed up into the temple with strange fire. God zapped them. They were, they were eliminated because of disobedience. First Chronicles 13, there's a guy named Uzzah. Uzzah was a carrier of the Ark of the Covenant. Simple rule, don't touch the Ark of the Covenant. It'll kill you. The Ark of the Covenant begins to tilt in 1 Chronicles 13. Uzzah thinks he's going to do a good thing. Sticks a hand out to steady it. Bam, dead. You say, well, that's kind of harsh. I mean, all he's trying to do is help. I mean, and Nadab and Abihu, they're just, you know, dumb young guys. They didn't die in innocence. They died in their guilt. And Scripture is very clear. The wages of sin is death. You remember what God instructed Adam and Eve about in Genesis 1 and 2? He says, listen, I've created all this stuff. It's really cool. And he says, I've created it for you. And you, and you have dominion over it all. And you can eat of any tree in the garden except this one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just stay away from that because if you eat from that one, on that day you will surely die. And in the moment that they took of the forbidden fruit, they began to die, and so did the rest of us. It's, you know, they weren't designed to die. They, they didn't die because God is mean. They didn't die because God is harsh. They died because the wages of unholiness, the wages of sin, the wages of missing the target of God's perfection, the wages of that is death. It's just that simple. But the restrictions that God places on us are good restrictions. Now, why does God take this so seriously? For the New Testament people, New Covenant people, church people, born-again saved people. Is God still serious about us being serious about sin? There's this, we live in this world that says, oh, you know, you're saved, you're going to heaven, so you can just live like hell if you want to because you're going to heaven when you die. We're not saved to live like hell. We're saved to be free from living like hell. 
We're saved to live like heaven-bound people. And, and And so God is serious about it because every time you and I sin today, Okay, I'm a, just me. This is just me. Every time I commit a sin, what sin? Anger, okay? Wrong choice of words, harshness, breaking a law like the speed limit, okay? Whatever sin it is, it is a slap in the face of grace. That's what it is. You see, Jesus died on a, listen, Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago for my sin. And on that cross, he paid for my sin that I commit today. Now you say, well, how's that even work? Quantum physics, that's how that works. Okay, and you don't understand that, and I don't either. Okay? Jesus paid for my pr- the price of my sin 2,000 years ago today. You see, he is outside the time continuum. When he... When he died on the cross, Jesus was fixing our sin condition, was was forgiving, providing grace for our sin condition, eternal past, eternal future, all wrapped up in the moment of time. So when I sin today, it's a slap in the face of grace. Number four, remembering prepares us for the future. Now Exodus chapter 20. We're going to begin a new chapter. It says this, God spoke all these words. He said in verse 2, I, the Lord, am your God who brought you from the land of Egypt, from the house of slavery. Remembering prepares us for the future. Everybody in here, if you're saved, by all means, you have something to remember. It's why we take communion, right? To remember what Jesus did for us. We took communion on Good Friday. We'll take it again here couple of weeks I think we take it to remember what Jesus has done for us God wants you to remember what he's done for us if you've got a job today um, you need to remember God for giving you that job and you say well I hate my job well you need to remember that he's given you that job probably because of something you did okay there you go I'll turn it right back on you all right if you have children today if they're less than middle school you need to remember what a good gift that is if, you, if they're middle schoolers today, you just need to remember, he's right there with you through it, through it, okay? If, 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 you, have a, uh, if you have a home today, and, and I, I venture to say everybody in here lived, nobody in here slept on the street last night, I'm guessing. Remember where that came from. You, no, I'm t- some of y'all may be hungry, okay, you will be the time I get done because I'm not even close, but... Some of you, most of you, you've been eating just fine. You know what I'm saying? We could afford to miss a few meals along the way. All right? We need to remember God's goodness. He provides for us. Now, now, he tells them, he just says, listen, I am the Lord and I'm your God. I'm the one that brought you out. Never forget that. If you're saved today, remember that God is the one who brought you out. I was taking my granddaughter, Juliana, she's four, to school on Thursday, and there's a rainbow, cool rail I love rainbows, okay, when they're in the right context. And this particular rainbow's up in the sky, and it was really cool, and Juliana was in the back seat. She said, Papo, which is how she said, my name is Papo. She calls me Papo. 
I said, yeah, baby. She says, look, a rainbow. And I said, there is a rainbow. And she said, that means God will never flood the earth again. She's four. I'm like, yeah, it does. She remembers. See? And God sends us things like rainbows and children and flowers and seasons and his Holy Spirit and clouds in the sky and stars at night to help us remember he is our God. And he is the one that is in the process actively delivering us from this journey called life into his eternal presence in heaven one day. Remembering prepares us for the future. Number six, rules from God are not rocket science. He knows who he created. He didn't send us a book of quantum physics and say, okay, go digest this. Okay? He gave them ten rules. And so this is what it looks like. This is the first time we see the Ten Commandments in the Bible. Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 3. Number one commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Number two found in verse 4, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water below. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, responding to the transgression of my fathers, of fathers by dealing with children to the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. Verse 6, and showing covenant faithfulness to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. What a beautiful phrase. Commandment number 3 is found in verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold guiltless anyone who takes his name in vain. Commandment 4, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to set it apart as holy. For six days you may labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your cattle or the resident foreigner who is in your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Commandment number five, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother that you may live a long time in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Commandment number six, verse 13. You shall not murder Commandment number seven, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. Commandment number eight, verse 15, you shall not steal. Commandment number nine, verse 16, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Commandment number 10, verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor, covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, female servant, ox, donkey, nor anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, interesting fact about these. These Ten Commandments, they kind of move in and out of different uh, religions. Uh, In the Jewish Bible, the Ten Commandments are listed differently. In the uh, Orthodox Christian Bible, they're listed differently. In the Lutheran Bible, they're listed differently. In the Protestant Bible, they're listed differently. In the Catholic Bible, they're listed differently. So for us, because of who we are, we're going to use the Hindu Bible. How's that? No, they don't have one. 
We're going to use the Protestant Bible. Now, in all of those other variations, they ultimately end up with ten commandments. They're just listed. Some are connected. Some are divided. They are just listed differently. Now, as I said up front, ten commandments taken out of school. Ten commandments have to be scrutinized to be in public facilities. And we as the Christian community, boy, we get our underwear bunched up. Yeah, we can't pray in school. We can't do ten commandments anymore. And, and sometimes I, when somebody says that, I just say, I know, man, it's awful, isn't it? I'm not remembering right now. What are the Ten Commandments? You know, they're like, uh, cleanliness next to godliness. Um, you know, treat others as you'd have them treat you. No, it's not Ten Commandments. Most of us couldn't even recite the Ten Commandments had I not just read them. So we're going to practice, all right? I put them on the board right here. Watch this. I want you to read them out loud. Everybody, everybody say out loud. Out loud. That's what it sounds like. Okay, start at the top. Go. Have no other gods but me. Do not worship idols. Do not take God's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Honor your mother and father. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not covet other people's things. That is the Ten Commandments. And God gave them as instructions to a people group not to hurt them, not to harm them, but to help them be everything that God wanted them to be. Now, we live in a world, as I said, that we just don't like them. We just don't like them. We live in a world that thinks, okay, if I can do them, then God will love me. I want you to know something. I don't care how sinful you are today. I don't care what foolish decisions you made this past week, this past year, this past decade. I don't care how poorly you think of yourself. There is a God in heaven who thinks you hung the moon. He created you in his image. And sure, you've got it all distorted and messed up. But he loves you the same. Listen to me. God doesn't love you because you are good. God loves you because he is God. Scripture says God is love. It doesn't say God is lovey when you are good. It says God is love. He's love all the time. Listen, on your best day. He doesn't love you more than he does on your worst day. He's always loving you madly, sacrificially in love with you. And that's good news for your preacher. Because I got some bad days. I got some days where I'm not holy, not just, not right, not even close. Make more bad decisions than I do good and God loves me the same through it all. Now, God tried to make it easy and give us 10. We're almost done. When you read the Old Testament, there are 613 laws ultimately. They're called mitzvahs. He gave them 10. He said, just do these 10. You'll be doing really good. You'll choke. But you just try. You'll do good. Okay? And then, then they came up with 613. And of all those laws, the Ten Commandments or the 613, there's basically three categories. There's the moral law, how we act, what we do. There's a ceremonial law. That's how we relate to God. And then there's the dietary law. 
That's what we eat to be healthy and holy. Now, Jesus came not to abolish the law. That's what Jesus said. He came to fulfill the law. So if he came to fulfill the law, why are we looking at the Ten Commandments? And preacher, why are we going to look at it for the next ten stinking weeks? Okay? Because Jesus came to fulfill them. And ceremonial laws, gone. There's no ceremony required for us anymore. Dietary laws, gone. There's no diet for us anymore that helps us be more holy, may make us more healthy. And you can have ceremonies in your life. It's not bad. And you can have a, a strict dietary regimen. That's not bad for you. But Jesus, Jesus finished that for us. In fact, Scripture tells us in Colossians 2, verse 16, 17, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you with respect to food or drink or in the matter of feast and a new moon and Sabbath days. These are only the shadow of things to come, but the reality is Christ. I love that verse. One reason I love it is because in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, pork and shrimp and crabs were not on the menu. But thank God for Easter. Pork chops, fried shrimp, and crab legs now are. Amen? Happy Easter for that. He changed that. He changed how we go to him. No longer do we go through the priest. You don't go to God through the preacher. You go to God through the high priest, through, the, through Jesus Christ. You have direct access to God through Jesus who is God. He changed all of that. But listen to me. We still live life. And there is still a moral standard. So I don't care if you're talking about the 10. I don't care if you're talking about the 613. Two easy categories to know how we're supposed to live. The first four of these. No other gods. Don't worship idols. Don't take God's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. Everybody stick your arm up like this. Vertical. Vertical laws. This is how you walk before God. This is how you treat God. This is how you deal with God. You can put your hands down. Okay? Now everybody karate chop the person next to you right there. Just give them a karate chop. Numbers 5 through 10 are horizontal. This first four, how you deal with God. 5 through 10, that's how you deal with everybody around you. All the people in your world. Okay? That's it. That's it. Now, here's what's so cool about God. This is what's so amazing about Jesus. Jesus shows up. We know it's, it's all vertical, four vertical, six are horizontal. Jesus shows up in Mark chapter 12, verse 28. Now one of the experts in the law came and heard them debating. And when he saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, uh, which commandment is the most important of all? Trying to trap Jesus. And Jesus answered, the most important is, listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's vertical. And then he goes on, he says, the second, love your neighbor as yourself. You want, you want to please God? You don't need 613 or 10, you need two. You love God with everything you have, and you love people in your world the same. And God is going to smile upon your life. God is going to bless your life because that's his desire. Why? Because when we love God 
And when we love people, we are most like Jesus, his son, who we were created to be in the image of and created to conform to. So sometimes people think, well, I think, how do we know God hadn't changed his mind? How do we know that that his law and his rules are still the same? How, How do we know that the Ten Commandments are still applicable to us? After all, the education system, they've changed their opinion on curriculum. And after all, the culture's changed its position on rights and values. And our legal system has changed its approach to crime and penalties for it. And our political system has changed its views on agendas and policies. And many of our churches have moved in regards to scriptural integrity and inerrancy, right? So how do we know God hasn't changed? You can do your homework. All of those things I just listed are not better because of the change. They're worse. I want you to write something down big in your mind, in your heart, on your paper, in your Bible. Listen to me. God has not moved a fraction of an inch regarding holiness in in who he is and holiness in his demands upon your life. Not one ounce. He has not moved. Had a family visit. A sweet family. They were coming faithfully and uh, they signed up for the new members class and And they signed up to serve, just excited. And then I came in on Monday one day after I preached a message, and I got a a long email. It was was a kind email that said, we won't be coming back to the church at Sturkey Hills. And so I continued to read. And I'm going to spare you the whole letter. But this is the one line that got me. We don't believe the Bible like you preach it. We believe... That God understands our culture today and scripture can be manipulated and interpreted to meet our culture where it is. Made me want to throw up in my mouth. Made chill bumps climb on my skin. Now, at that point, I was finished with the letter. I can't change his heart and his view of that. I can't. I'm a human being. It takes the Holy Spirit to do that. So my answer was simple. Hey, guys. Thank you for joining us as long as you did. I wish you the very best. I'm going to pray that you find a church that will help you know God more. What do you do with that? That's the world we live in. 2 Timothy 4. There will be a time when people will not tolerate sound teaching. Instead, following their own desires. They will accumulate teachers for themselves because they have insatiable curiosity to hear new things I want some new philosophy I want some new ideology I want some new theology I want some new everything I'm not satisfied with the old I want something new meanwhile God has not moved one ounce so the ten commandments serve as a guide to keep us out of the bushes in between the lines safe and free and in a world that pushes back against that you and I as individuals get to choose how we live accordingly you get to choose we can debate them all we can dissect them 
We can pick and choose. Oh, I like that one. I, I, I'm not going to murder anybody. I like that one. Okay? We get to pick and choose if we want to. But at the end of the day, God says, I have given them to you to help you. So let me finish up. This analogy, I, this stuff hits me in the face sometimes. So I pulled in. I'm, I'll start studying for next week's sermon this afternoon because Sunday comes real quick for me. Now I take it very seriously. So, so I wonder, God, what am I supposed to, how am I supposed to preach? What am, what am I supposed to do? You know, how can I help? So I stopped down at Weigel's to get some fuel for my truck. I have a Ford F-250. It drinks fuel a lot. And so I stopped to get some fuel. And I noticed something. Mr. Waggle, some people call Waggles Waggles, which I like. Mr. Waggles has put a pump out there with a brain of its own. And it has a very specific uh, rules of engagement. Very specific rules of operation. And it sounds like this. Uh, insert card. Enter four-digit code. Do not remove card. Club card holder, question mark. Car wash, they ain't even got a car wash. I don't know if a little man's going to come out and wash my car and what's going on. Then it goes on. Receipt, question mark. Remove card. Remove handle. Select grade. Pump gas. Now I'm thinking about it and I thought, now wait a minute, I'm a 60-year-old cotton-picking man. I'm a grown man. I live in America. Free country. I ought to be able to do what I want to do. I ought not have to listen to a gas pump telling me how to get fuel. I ought to be able to make up my own rules of engagement. I ought to be able to do things my way to fill up my truck. And so I think about that for a minute. And then you know what I do? Insert card. Four digits. Okay? Answer some silly questions. Remove pump, press button, put fuel in vehicle. Okay? Why? Because quite honestly, I don't want to spend the rest of my life at Waggles. Okay? And if I'm planning on leaving out of there with fuel, I'm going to play by their rules. Now, and then it hit me in the face. God's like, that is what the Bible is for. I don't want you to get stuck in one place without everything you need. So if you will subscribe to the rules of engagement that I've given you, I'm going to fill up your tank and I'm going to send you on down the road of freedom. And that's what he wants to do for you. I am so overwhelmingly blessed by a true and living God who chose to love somebody like me. And I am so thankful he called me to tell you that same God loves you. I want you to bow your heads today. Maybe you're here today and you've tried living your life according to your own set of rules and it's costing you more than it's helping you. The reward is not as great as the risk. Maybe you've heard of Jesus you know about Jesus, but you don't know him in a real way. God is the, the initiator of relationship. Maybe on this very day, he's speaking into the depth of your heart and your soul. I can't do that, but God does. And he invites us 
up on the mountain. He invites us to that place where a relationship can begin. Scripture is very clear about these instructions too. Simply said, we have to confess to God and repent of our sin. We just say, God, I know I'm a sinner and I repent of my sin. I, I turn 180 degrees from my old life. I want to walk with and for you from this day forward. I believe in this moment that you're inviting me into your forever family and I receive your invitation. I want the grace found in Jesus on a cross to be poured over my life. Save me today. Adopt me today. Call me your own today and forevermore. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Now, if you prayed that prayer, you would like to pray that prayer today, you just do that in the quietness of your heart. But you need to let somebody know about it today. You can let us know by coming forward in a minute. I'll be standing over here. Or you can put it on your connection card. Just put your name, how to get a hold of you, and the decision you made. And I personally will reach out to you. Now for the rest of us. Most of us have already made that commitment to Jesus. We've invited him into our life and received his grace gift. Now the question is, are we living according to the standard that he has placed before us? It's not rocket science. Are we loving God really, really well? And because of our relationship with that loving God, are we loving people around us really, really well also? And if we're not, it's time to do things differently. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for all of those who have gathered. I thank you for your amazing word. I thank you for this book 3,500 years ago called Exodus that tucked away in there are these 10 commandments, 10 reasons why you sent Jesus to the cross on our behalf. God, we've messed them up, and we're going to see that over the next 10 weeks. But you just kept on loving us through it. I just want to say thank you for doing that for us. And God, I pray that if there's someone here today that needs to receive your grace gift, that this would be the day that they are liberated and set free from sin's curse and they can walk new for you for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.